listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. indeed welcome to the show this is the fret files podcast my name is eric daw your personal guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars this is a podcast about guitar repair guitar building guitar news guitar science and guitar opinions sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host melissa this is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener submitted emails i will read the questions and eric will try to answer them Aside from emails, we also have many calls. Cool. So we're going to take some calls. Yeah. We've got a lot of questions. Questions about impedance. Questions about intonation. Questions about... Storing pickups. Oh, yeah. I liked that question. Questions about acoustic pickups and saddles. We'll get to all of that. What's on your bench? Uh, you know, I've been working on a lot of fun projects. Um, I can't even think of... Uh, How about the 50 uh, Esquire? Yep, been working on that. I've been uh, gluing up a bunch of cracks on the neck and uh, stripping the old paint off the body and... Uh, took out the frets and I'm going to refret it soon. Cool. I've been trying to bleach out a bunch of rust stains on the headstock. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to make it look nice again. And for listeners who have not heard about this, Eric's not stripping a 50 Esquire that's mint or anything. Oh, of course not. This is a barn find and it's in miserable condition. It was painted with house paint. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he's stripping the house paint off, not, not yeah. the original paint. No, I'm restoring it because it's it's far gone. Uh, you know, I wanted to mention a few things. Um, there's a few podcasts that I've been listening to that are just great, and I know you guys are going to like them, and I'm not uh, affiliated with these either one of these podcasts, really. Just wanted to give a shout-out. The first one, which I know I've mentioned before, but if you haven't checked it out, this is my favorite new podcast. It's so good. It's called The Truth About Vintage Guitar Amps with Skip Simmons and Jason Verlindy from the Fretboard Journal. It's their new podcast. It's all about amps, and it's basically kind of, it's kind of like this show. He, Jason Verlindy jokes that he, he, stole, he stole the format from us, but we stole it from Car Talk, so it's not like, you know, <laughs> it's not, not really not anything there. But uh, no, it's just the listeners ask questions about tube amps, about vintage guitar amps, and Jason asks the questions, and Skip answers them, and it's great. I love Skip, man. He, it's such a cool guy, and the st- sometimes the things that come out of his mouth are just great. I just love it. <laughs> I love that podcast, and so informative too. I mean, I feel like I'm actually learning about because I've never been an amp tech, and I'm a, I'm afraid to work on amps because it's just not my wheelhouse, and I've also been kind of scared to ever really crack one open because. Uh, They'll zap they'll, you. They'll kill you. They'll stop your heart. There's enough. There's enough uh, electricity in those filter caps. Even even when it's not plugged in, I've heard horror stories. Yeah. Uh, the other podcast that's been great is Chris and Rick talk guitars. Wow. Yeah. A a couple of old friends of mine from from Seattle, and they started a podcast, and uh, it's called Chris and Rick Talk Guitars, and it's just what it what it says. Two dudes talking about guitars. They've got a few episodes 
you want to check that out. I, I really enjoyed it. It's not, um, it's not like technical, like this show can be, it's just two, two friends, two gear nerds talking about guitars. I think one of the last episodes was guitars in movies. Interesting. They talked about back to the future and buddy, the buddy Holly story and spinal tap, all kinds of good stuff. Interesting. But yeah, it's just two dudes that are obsessed with guitars who talk about a random guitar-related subject every episode. And you'll want to give that one a listen. I have really been enjoying it. And it's not just because they're buddies of mine. It's a good show. What else is new? I guess the NAM show was last week, which is the big, you know, trade, yep. music trade show. Yep, in Anaheim. In Anaheim. I knew it was Nam because my Instagram feed blew up with really weird looking guitars. <laughs> it's like every guitar it's like why why are all these new custom guitars always turquoise or purple flamed maple? It's like every guitar is some weird bulbous flamed maple thing with with gold hardware and it, it's like it looks like Dr. Seuss drew it. Yeah, all different flavors of ice cream, for sure. I guess so. I'll never understand that. I, I I just don't understand flamed maple, purple flamed maple guitars. It's like if, I don't know, whatever. It's So, I had fun looking at all those. Cool. And, yeah, anyhow, shall we... Uh, uh, take some calls here. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's see what we got here. If I can do this, uh, which tab? Oh yeah. If I can remember how to run a computer here, we're going to take some calls. Ring, ring. Hello, Eric and Melissa. This is Micah calling from Omaha, Nebraska. I have a question about impedance and I don't even know how to ask the question because I don't know enough about it, but Maybe just talk about impedance, especially with acoustic guitar, piezo, piezo, pickups, however you want to say it, and whether it's high impedance, low impedance, active versus passive. I'm also wondering, I have a potential build that I'm doing where they want a magnetic pickup, but also some transducer pickups, and then some kind of way to blend them and if I did that is a passive transducer made by K&K going to play nicely with say a humbucker PAF style or do I need to find some way to change the impedance or I don't even know what impedance is can you tell us yes. <laughs> thanks yes thanks for being yeah. honest Micah because well. I don't know either well, neither do I. So next, <laughs> uh, no, it's 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 complicated, but it's not. I don't know. Piezo pickups tend to be higher impedance than guitar pickups. There's uh, well, here's the deal with K, with a K and K pickup. They uh, I've done this before, and they will work with just a standard volume pot it's best to use i would use a one meg ohm volume pot and just the pot being there uh kind of helps to uh attenuate the signal because the high impedance the higher impedance uh uh transducer pickups like a piezo like a k and k like to see a one meg ohm load. So if you hook up the uh, K&K pickup to a 1 meg ohm pot and hook up your humbucker to or your whatever pickup you're using to a 250k or a 500k ohm pot, it'll be fine. I just I would hook them up to two separate volume pots and then combine them together at the jack to a mono jack. That's what I would do. And I've done that before and it works fine. It really does. You don't need to worry about the science behind it. Just do it. You don't need to worry about, um, I don't understand impedance. Well, you know what? 
we're not audio engineers, so we don't really need to be able to graph it out. I mean, it's just, it, it, it just, it works, so don't worry about it. I've, I've done that before. Not all piezo pickups will work as well. K and Ks have a really strong loud signal. They're, they're the loudest passive piezo pickups I've ever heard. Uh, and so that's what I would use. I hate messing around with active, uh, systems. I'm almost to the point where I just won't do it anymore. I'm busy enough with, like, if somebody wants to, me to install some, like, weird Godot ghost bridge on their, on their hammer or something and route it out for batteries and I, I'm just not interested in doing that. I, I, I just think that it's, uh, I just think it's a lot of silliness. So don't go with an active system. Just use a passive K and K, blend it together with the magnetic pickup. It'll be fine. Wire it up to the jack. It'll be great. Don't don't worry about it. Cool. That's what I say. Now, if I can get the uh, calls back here. I'm trying to make this easier on myself by not downloading them. I'm just playing them online. Here, here we go. Ring, ring. Hello, Eric and Melissa. This is Joe from Virginia. Just want to say Happy New Year. Thank you for always answering the questions. I got another one for you, please. Actually, two. Um, first question is, what is the best way to have your guitar? Should you put it in the case? Can you leave it in the guitar stand? Um, Virginia, it's a little humid, but it's nothing compared to Arizona. So... The humidity, it's not really a problem here as far as that's concerned for the guitar. Um, I just got me for Christmas a new Epiphone Les Paul Prophecy guitar. It's pretty sweet, and I want to, it's the most expensive guitar I've ever owned, so I want to take really good care of it. Not that I don't want to take care of my other guitars. And secondly, um, I've got a bass where on the back of the neck, it's not, uh, you know, guitar, it's not color finish, I should say. Um, they scratched some stuff into the back, like they took a razor. I don't know what they used. Is there any way to, can I sand that down? Is there any way to do that, um, to fix that? Anyway, thanks. Bye. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Thanks for the call. I think it was Jeff. Was it Jeff or Joe? I thought he said Joe. From well, Virginia? I thought he said Jeff from Virginia. Well, Maybe I heard him wrong. Sorry, Joe, Jeff. Uh, yeah. We appreciate your call in, in any <clears throat> case. Storing your guitar, I don't really like guitar stands for around the house. I've seen too many broken headstocks. Um, they, they, they get knocked over pretty easily. The way I do it in my house, you know, the best way I think is to hang them on the wall. Get get yourself one of the wall hanging uh, guitar holders that mounts to the wall. You know, make sure you drill it into a stud, screw it into a stud, and uh, that's what I like to do. Keep them up on the wall. And uh, humidity, you want to monitor monitor that. I know you said that it's not really an issue where you are, but um, well, high humidity could be an issue, couldn't it? You don't want it too high. But you especially don't want it too low. Right. <clears throat> yeah, but um, I don't know. I You could keep it in the case, but man, get, I, I like to look at them. I like them hanging on the wall. They're art, you know? Yeah. And I like to be able to grab them and play them. That's what I would do. That's what I do is I hang mine on the wall. Uh, that's, that's, that's what I do. I, that's, you know, why not? Yep. Why not do that? Yep. Um, what was his other question? Oh, you've got like some nicks and dings, some scrapes in the back of your neck. That can be, uh, that can be, um, sanded out and buffed. If it's very deep, you'll want to fill it and then sand it smooth and buff it. Uh, you can fill that with just a little bit of super glue. Um, I think he said this is an Epiphone, which is a polyurethane finish. Uh, so you can... Fill that with just a little bit of super glue, build it up in the in the in the in the divots or in the scrapes, and then uh, you can actually scrape that smooth with a razor blade 
and then wet sand it with some really fine grit sandpaper and then polish it out. If you've never done it before or if you're hesitant to do it, if you're not sure you can do a good job, take it to somebody like me. Take it to a luthier who can do that. It's a really common thing, and somebody should be able to take care of that for you pretty easily. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Let's uh, see if we can get call number three going here. Ring, ring. Hey, Eric. This is Sean in Columbus, Ohio. And I was just on your Instagram account looking at all your personal bills that you've done over the years. And I uh, became curious whether or not you have a favorite build that you've ever done of your own and why. I know you've done a lot and you name them all one by one, but I was wondering out of a couple hundred if maybe there was one that stuck out for some reason. Thanks so much. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. Right on. Thank you for the call. Was it Sean? Yep. In Columbus, Ohio. Yep. Appreciate that. Thanks for the call. Uh, you know, it's a funny thing. They And I, I'm ashamed to say this, but they, they all kind of blend together. And the reason for that is that once I'm done with them, I only get to spend maybe at most a, a few days with them. You know, sometimes only a few hours with them before I ship them out. So uh, I get a guitar done, and then then it's gone. So, and then I start building another one. So, you know, I have pictures of a lot of them, and uh, I stay in contact with a lot of people that, that own them. So uh, I do, you know, I do remember them when I look them up. I've got a list of serial numbers and colors and stuff. But uh, as far as the ones that stand out, the ones that stand out and the ones that are memorable uh, and probably my f- my favorite builds are the ones that were different. Uh, I made a guitar, a Telecaster-style guitar, in a collaboration with an artist named Terry Terrell. And Terry Terrell is a, f- a pretty well-known artist, and he just I just love his art. <laughs> his paintings are so cool. Yeah. Really amazing stuff, and he's a friend of mine, so uh, I commissioned him to paint a body, and then I lacquered over his painting and then aged the clear lacquer, and that's probably my favorite guitar I've ever made. I I probably should have kept that. I know where it is. Maybe, yeah. I, maybe I can get it back someday. But someday. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably my favorite one ever. I also I I did another one that was an it was an Esquire with a snakehead headstock and it had cowboy wallpaper on it. Oh yeah, I remember that, that one. That one was that one was very cool too. Yeah. Uh I think those are both on my website. I just kept them up there because I like the pictures even though they're marked sold. But they're you can see them at pinupcustomguitars.com if you want to check those out. They're on the buy page, but you can't buy them. They're sold. Yeah. Was was that his question? Was there yeah. more to, to it than that? I think uh, that was it, right? I think that was it. Excellent. Shall we take some, uh, shall we read, read some emails? Yep, let's do it. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Eric, how much neck relief is too much on a guitar? And do you set up your customers' guitars with a flat neck or a sweet sweet spot that you have found works? All the best in 2019, Jonathan from Victoria, Canada. Hey, there's Jonathan. We've missed you, Jonathan. Howdy, buddy. Uh, I I know I've said this on the podcast before, but uh, I aim for as straight as I can get a neck. You know, if a if a guitar will play well with a, a neck that's as straight as I can get it, then that's the sweet spot. Yeah. Um, some guitars need a little more relief, especially acoustic guitars. It seems like sometimes they need a little bit more relief just because uh, any little buzz or anything um, uh, is amplified more with a... With an acoustic guitar, with an electric guitar, you can get away with it, just a little bit of buzz, as long as it's not coming through the amp. And that's always my final test: is right. if it, how does it sound through the amp? Because that's, that's you know how we're going to use it. So yeah, I aim for a flat neck, and if I have to, I'll put a little bit of relief in it. Thanks, Jonathan. Hi, folks. 
Shielding? I am irked about how shielding seems to be a must for everyone these days. I'm sure the compulsion to eliminate every hiss and hum is driven by modern production techniques and active pickups. This guy sounds like you. Did you write this question? No, I didn't write this. I don't write questions to my own (laughs) podcast. These are from actual (laughs) listeners. On a humbucking guitar. Offended. I don't see the point of shielding at all. On a guitar like a Jaguar, Jazzmaster, or something with P90s, building a Faraday cage seems to help very little, if not at all. Now that I run my own repair shop, I turn this kind of work down. Yeah. Charging someone $75 to shield their Jaguar with copper tape just goes against my ethics. Actually, I get more work from the problems shielding causes when the pots loosen and damage the shielding or conductive paint. What are your thoughts on when to shield and why? Many thanks. Jay from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Right on, Jay. Yeah, I could have written this question. Uh, you know, I'm with you. I'm really with you. I, I don't shield my custom builds, and I don't try to sell people shielding. Uh, on a lot of guitars, the the uh, the wires are shielded. You know, if you open up a Les Paul or a Gibson, whatever Gibson, they use shielded wire. Why are we going to shield it again? Right. Or a lot of, you know, just you name it, whatever brand, they have shielded wire. Now, in the case of Fender, typically it's not shielded wire. They don't have that. But 90% of the hum comes from the pickups. You can shield a fender and take away a tiny bit of hum, but it's, in my opinion, it's not worth the effort. It really doesn't accomplish that much um, because almost all the hum comes from the pickups. And uh, I've seen so many people who do home shielding jobs, but they don't know what they're doing, and so they don't ground everything, and you actually end up making it worse. You'll get more hum. Or, like Jay's talking about, you'll get a switch or a pot coming in contact with the uh, the grounded sides of the cavity and then shorting the thing out. It really does cause a lot of problems. Now, if you want to do a really nice job shielding your Strat or your Tele and uh, you just you just want to do that, that's great. But I'm with I'm with Jay here on that one. I, it's just. It's just not something I... You know, here's another thing. I've seen too many... There's a guy in Seattle that likes to paint everything with that shielding paint. So if he gets a 50s fender in his shop, he'll just slather shielding paint in there. Yes! I've seen him do it a bunch of times. Just can bop that guy on the noggin. I won't say his name, but yeah, you know, let's just paint a bunch of shielding paint in our 57 Strat. Jeez. Give me a break, man. And for what? You know, a 10% reduction in hum and a 20% reduction in value of the guitar. Give me a break, man. Ouch. Thanks, Jay. Hi, Melissa and Eric. One quick one for the Eric Da Well of Knowledge. Setting the intonation on any guitar without an adjustable saddle per string is always a compromise, and I am aware of that. Mm -hmm. So, any tricks of the trade how to dial in the intonation on a biscuit-style resonator guitar? Bridge and biscuit are maple. The cone can move around quite a bit, leading to all kinds of sources for bad alignment. I've had my National Resophonic Style O for 25 years now, and I've, of course, gotten quite good at keeping things as they are, changing one string at a time so your setup doesn't move, or how to adjust things a little, poke at the bridge from both sides with cover plate and strings installed for tiny movements of the bridge. Still, you are the pro here. How would you go about optimizing the intonation on one of these guitars? Love hearing your views and opinions. All the best to you and the family. Axel. Thanks, Axel. Yeah, those are tricky. Um and you know, a lot of a lot of those will have a little bit higher action because they're kind of uh they're kind of known for being a slide guitar, so you'll have the action kind of high, which that can throw off the intonation as well. So, you know, there's all kinds of problems with those. Uh there's a few tricks that I've seen as you've said the uh the whole cone can slide around just a little bit 
So um, the, about the best you can do is just position it uh, at a slight slant so that the uh, the bass strings are longer than the treble strings, right? You slant it just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you should be able to position the whole thing. You know, most resonators, the cone will move forward and backward just a hair. And uh, if you can't get it intonated with that, I have gone in and notched those saddles before. You know, it's just one little strip of mm-hmm. maple. But um, you can go in and notch that and improve it just a little bit. But uh, you don't want to move much. You don't want to remove much wood because you're kind of weakening the the saddle there. Um, what I like to do is I like to uh, intonate the A and the B as as perfectly as I can. That's what I aim for. You know, a lot of people will intonate the outer E's. But if you if you try to get the A and the B right, then then any string is only one string away from being intonated well. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know I've said that before on the podcast. I think we were talking about uh Gibson's with the wraparound tailpiece though. Mm-hmm. Where there's no way to intonate the darn things. Uh, except for moving the whole bridge back and forth. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it can be a trick. You know, I have on on one or two resonator, and I wouldn't do this to a vintage instrument, okay, or even a nice national or something, but uh, I've, I, was, I was working on a Johnson resonator not long ago, and... Uh, I just couldn't get it intonated for, you know, to save my life. So I che- I ended up checking the open strings versus the first fret. So you push down the first fret and mm-hmm. check the intonation open, check it at the first fret. And it was just so far off. And I took out my calipers and measured and it just, the, it's like they, uh, they just didn't do it quite right. Like the the distance between the first fret and the nut was just a little bit longer than it should be. So to take out the nut, I sawed just a tiny little piece of wood off of the end of the fingerboard and then remade the nut so that the nut is now closer to the first fret. Wow. Just to make it work, you know. Wow. I'm sure your national's not like that, but I've seen Johnson's that were like that. And then voila, it intonated great once I did that. Huh. Yeah, that's a... T- you know, there's a uh, there's the buzz fighting intonation system is is based on that. You you'll mm. move the nut forward towards the first fret. Um, but I'm not. I'm. I've never been a huge fan of that. Anyway, cool. I'm getting I'm getting way off track. Yeah. Thanks, Axel. <laughs> Hi, Eric and Melissa. I am very close to starting my second attempt at a guitar build. My first was okay, but let's say I learned a lot of what not to do. Mm-hmm. One of the areas that needs improvement is to ensure I get a tighter fitting neck in the pocket. I'm using a reputable Strat template, which I purchased, that is a machine cut precise, which is machine cut precise, but the neck fit was a little too loose for my liking. In my next build, I am toying with the idea of adding a layer of tape over the heel of the neck template so that I route the heel slightly wider and then hand sand until I get the fit perfect. Do you recommend this? If not, do you have any other tips or tricks for routing a snug fitting neck? Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Joe in Sydney, Australia. Right on, Joe. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I think he's talking about the neck pocket template. Yeah. So if you put if you put a little bit of uh if you put a little bit of tape on your template, then you'll end up with a slightly narrower neck pocket. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I've done that before. I've I've bought a uh a neck pocket routing template from well, I don't want to say who I bought it from, but it it was so wide and sloppy that it was like, well, you know, yeah, the neck fits in there, but it also three picks fit in there too. Uh, yeah, so put a little, put some tape on there, and uh, you know what I did with mine that was a sloppy fit is I put tape on there until it was. I think I put 
three or four layers of tape on there to make it narrower. And then I used that to make a new template out of some plexiglass oh. so that I had a fresh template that didn't need tape. Right. That was crisp. and Yeah. Yeah. So there's an option. Cool. Think about that. Thanks, Joe. <clears throat> Hello, Mel and Eric. While listening to the latest podcast, a listener asked a question about pickups losing their magnetism. As you were answering that question, another popped into my head. It seems that guitar parts seem to accumulate at my house. Ours too. Oh, you think? <laughs> I store pickups together like friendly bed buddies. Mm -hmm. In fact, they are stuck together because of the magnets, which leads me to my question. What is the best way to store pickups? Will having them clinging to each other cause any loss in magnetism? Thanks so much for the great podcast. All the best to you and your family. John Nicholas. Thanks, John. You know, I... I think that it does. I, I think that that over time can kind of zap the magnets on your pickups. So what I do, and I don't have any proof of that. I mean, I'm not a magnet scientist. I don't know. But uh, I've been told that, and uh, it certainly is possible. So just to be safe, I like to store pickups in individual boxes, especially if it's something that I you know care about. You know, pickups come in little boxes usually anyway, so I, I never throw those away if I get a new pickup or a customer brings me a pickup to install and they don't want the box. I keep those boxes, and then I have a giant box of pickups, but each individual pickup is in its own little box. But they're all just stacked right next yeah, to each other. Yeah, they're stacked I mean, right next. So but they're, they're only three inches apart. Right, but they're not stuck right. together. So if if you don't have any boxes, you could wrap one in a towel and then put them next to each other and that would be fine? Well, I would think so, yeah. I just, I'm, I don't like the idea of st sticking them all together in a big blob of... <laughs> I do. <laughs> magnetically stuck together pickups. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I try, to, I try to keep mine separated a couple inches. Cool. Yeah. You, you got to keep them separated. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I have a question about worn nitro finishes and care and maintenance. Is there anything that needs to be done to exposed wood after the finish wears and chips away on a solid body electric to protect it from the elements? I suppose the neck would be of most concern to prevent warping and twisting from moisture loss. My 1962 Jazzmaster. I know, cringe. No, that's cool. That's a cool guitar. It's a vintage <laughs> Fender, man. Yeah, it's all good. Is well played and it shows. Should I be concerned about somehow treating the bare wood for any reason? Thanks for all the great info and entertainment. Keep up the good work, Andrew. I wouldn't do anything, especially to the body. Uh, and then on a neck, when it, when the when when the back of a fender neck, when the finish starts getting worn off, um, it's usually burnished pretty well and kind of the oils from your hand kind of seal it off. You know, I really wouldn't do anything. I really wouldn't do anything. I've seen plenty of vintage fenders like that. Um, and the reason I wouldn't do anything is because it hurts the value. Right. You know, and, and so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd leave it alone. I really would. I'd leave it alone. Should we take a break? Yep. We'll be right back after this. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at malcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. It's hard for me to talk about the guitars that I make. I feel like I'm bragging or I feel like I'm being a pushy salesman. 
but I'm not above reading unsolicited emails from happy owners of my guitars and uh, calling it a commercial. Hi, Eric. Hope you are doing well. Just wanted to follow up and say that I love this guitar. The tonal difference in all of the switch positions is amazing. The neck is so fast and straight, and it's very light. Most importantly, the pickups are incredible. Any tone is available. Nate. Well, thanks, Nate. I'm so glad that he's happy with that one. Eric, thanks so much for making my favorite guitar. I've owned so many, and I can't figure out why this guitar feels like the one that I've been playing with my whole life, even though I've only had it a month. Thank you, Eli. Right on. You did it again, my friend. Why do your pickups sound so f***ing good? (laughs) David. (laughs) You know, I tell people it's it's like making a cake. You gotta have the right recipe, you gotta have quality ingredients, and you have to, it all comes together in a certain way. And if you do the wrong thing at any certain step, then you end up with a bad cake. Right. It's like making a delicious, very good sounding cake. Go ahead. Recently purchased the Nitro Blonde pinup custom guitar you made. The intonation, resonance, playability, and that amazing tone in all three coil selections is by far the best I have ever played. I plug in and can't stop playing for hours. I will probably sell both of my other guitars and get another pinup. Thanks, Douglas. That's what I like to hear. Douglas, thank you. And you guys are so nice. You can see these lovely creations at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, like pinup girl, pinupcustomguitars.com. Hi, Eric. I recently bought a late 60s Hofner LP style guitar, and it has those Hofner blade pickups in it. The pickups have a very low output. They sound pretty cool, but they are very quiet. Would they be in need of a rewind, or is this just the nature of those pickups? Thanks for the help, Rylan. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Rylan, uh, it's hard for me to say without hearing them or without testing them. Just from your question, I can't definitively say. But have you experimented with pickup height? Uh, You know, proximity to the string can make a huge difference on your pickup output. So if they're sitting pretty far away from the strings, just raise them up. And and that's your problem. Uh, If they are close to the strings, or if getting them closer to the strings doesn't help, then they very possibly could have a problem. Um, The the best way to tell is to is to uh, test them with an ohm meter and see if they're reading the proper output. Those are probably in the seven to nine thousand ohms range, and that's what they should read. So if you try to if you test it and they test something radically different than that, uh, you know sometimes they'll just test like there's a, there's no continuity at all but they'll still put out a little bit of sound because there's internal capacitance that's going on that they'll actually still make a little bit of noise, but it'll be pretty quiet. So if that's the case, yeah, they need to be rewound. But if they if they test good on an ohm meter um, and they're close to the strings, then, you know, the only other, the only other possibility here is, is uh, maybe weak magnets. That's, that's not likely. It's not not really likely. So, yeah, if they're uh, check check this pickup height, and if that doesn't help, then check them with an ohm meter. Thanks, Rylan. Hey, gang! At guitars by Jake again. Hi, Jake. My question this time is about re-radiusing necks. I've recently done a restring slash setup on some customer strats, one with a nine point five and one with a seven and a quarter radius. Radii, radii, uh, and I absolutely love the way they feel. What might the success rate of me changing my 2011 Mexi Fender Tele maple neck to a vintage radius? I've got wooden radius sanding blocks in the trusty old radius gauges, great gauges from Stumac, as well as some awesome fret pullers. Come to think of it, this job might be better suited for to my parts caster strat with an 80s made-in Korea Squire maple neck. Mm-hmm. 
I've done a few defrets before, but never a refret. Should I start off with perfecting the refret before attacking one of my gigging guitars? Also, I'd love to own a pinup custom bass one day, in a particular, in particular, a lefty telly bass. Though I'd settle for a P bass. Would you consider making one and shipping it to Sydney, Australia? Wow. Maybe you could email me a quote so I know how many pennies to save up. Thanks, both of you, for the always awesome podcast. When I get a notification for a new Fret Files podcast, it makes my day. Cheers, Jake. Jake, thanks, man. I'm honored that you're uh, considering a, a custom instrument from me. Unfortunately, I'm not doing basses at this time, but I've had a lot of people ask about that. So, I, you know, I should look into that. I should start doing that. I'm just so busy with what I've already got going on that I'm... I'm not going to be doing that anytime soon, but eventually I think I will make bases. Just cool. maybe not soon. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, if you've never really refretted before, I I don't know, man. You know, here's one problem. You're talking about maple necks. After you after you re after you take out the frets and then re-radius it, uh you're going to have to refinish them too. So are you capable of that? I mean, I don't know that this is going down a rabbit hole here. So, you know, I, I want you to, I want you to experiment and I want you to have fun and I want you to learn and I want you to, uh, to advance, but, uh, maybe not on your gigging guitars, maybe buy, maybe buy a, uh, a used neck and, and, uh, just see if you can get maybe a cheap used used neck and and try doing it to that first. Cool. I'd rather have you make your mistakes on something you don't care about. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jake. Eric, I have a question about under saddle pickups on acoustic guitars. Some people claim that removing them and fitting a new saddle will improve the tone of the guitar because it improves the contact of the saddle with the bridge and therefore the whole guitar. Have you found this to be true? I can see the reasoning of this, but I also wonder if it's because it's they had uh, if it's because they had a new usually bone saddle fit and it's just better than the tusk or similar synthetic saddle they had before. Love the show. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in that camp. I'm, uh, you know, those under saddle pickups were state of the art 20, 30 years ago. We've kind of moved beyond that. I, I don't like those. I won't install, I, I, I really don't, I really won't install them on an on a instrument that if somebody wants a, an acoustic pickup. I, I'm a firm believer in the K&K transducers. But the under saddle pickup has kind of uh, fallen out of favor with many, and I'm one of them. And uh, n- not only for the reason you state, but for the reason that they just sound weird. They just sound like an ovation. I don't know. They sound like a plastic, quacky. They just have a... They don't really sound like an acoustic guitar. They have a they have a very unique and specific sound, but I don't like it. So, apart from that, yeah, it's just a big. It's like having a big fat shim under your saddle, and that's not really optimal. So, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I agree, Tyler. I agree with that, and uh, I think that it it would imp- theoretically improve the tone of a nice acoustic guitar that has an undersaddle pickup to take that expletive thing out and put a put a nice bone saddle in there that fits well um you know and that could also be that could also help improve the tone as well but um you know a saddle should be tight in that slot you should almost be able to pick up the whole guitar by the saddle Without strings wow. on it. Wow. It, it should be tight in that slot. How do you get it out if it's that tight? Well, it'll pull out, but um, it should be it should be in there pretty tight. It, you should have to force it out because hmm. if it's loose in there, then all that string vibration is vibrating the saddle back and forth instead of transferring those vibrations to the guitar. Right. That makes sense. Cool. 
Thanks, Tyler. Thank you, Tyler. Fodder for the podcast out of Blackfoot. Oh, yeah. This is a friend of mine who lives down in Blackfoot. Blackfoot's a town about 20, 30 miles south of here. It's where my mom grew up. She was born there. Did she? I thought she grew up in Pocatello. Nope, Blackfoot. Uh, first, a big, huge, grand, gigantic thank you. Podcast is super, and you are both a laugh riot. Not tonight. (laughs) Well. (laughs) You just wait, guys. Second, Eric has their... Eric has had three of my instruments of joy across his bench, done a high caliber performance upon each, and I wish to express my gratitude. You have my humble thanks. Thank you. Third, Eric, could you please read feedback that you have received from customers who have purchased a pinup custom guitar? I ask this because I doubt that you would feel comfortable hyping your own product, but maybe you could expand more easily upon comments from customers. And I think potential buyers like myself are curious enough to listen. And last but not least, Melissa, I have checked out your Etsy store and I am curious if you have had any requests for leather guitar picks. Interesting. I am not sure if the recent articles I have seen are just a new fad or something I have overlooked for years. Either way, do you make them or would you add them to your repertoire if requested? You should. I have other items I am interested in asking your craftiness about, but maybe I will just contact you through Etsy for them. You are both so great. Thanks for the laughter. PR. Yeah. Leather guitar picks is, you know, I must have missed that. I didn't, he says he read some articles about him, but I haven't seen that. I've never heard of that, and I would not make one. What? Why? Well, because leather, even if if I used my stiffest leather and then stiffened it, its natural property is to soften over time. You you strum that guitar pick for 20 minutes, and it's going to soften. You should rethink that. You should rethink that. Here's why. Uh, leather is skin. Right. And so it, it's a pick, but it has this, the tonal properties of using like your thumb or your finger. Right. And a a nice thick piece of leather. Let's experiment with it. All right. All right. We'll experiment with it, but I am not, I, I, I hesitate to. No, this is a great suggestion. But. And do you, have you seen how flexible some picks are? But it's uh, think about how a pair of leather shoes wears. It doesn't wear the same way plastic would wear. It you know like it softens so that you can just squish it. It wouldn't be. It's not like it bends. Okay. Well, it would have certainly. It would have a lifespan. Yeah, for sure. But it's it's like a one square inch of leather. All right. Well, yeah, we'll experiment. How much is one square inch of leather? Like Uh, 10 cents? Yes. So I think that's a great idea. I think this is brilliant. Well, the other thing is if it's... Will you make me some leather guitar picks? Oh, geez. Now we've made her mad. Oh, my God. The thing is, if it's stiff enough to use as a guitar (laughs) pick, it's also like a quarter inch thick. Is that really what you want? You want? You want a really thick guitar pick? Is that what you want? Tell me. Yes. Okay. I'll make you one in like five years. Don't be mad, okay? I'm not mad. Why are you mad? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, he wants me to read feedback from customers who've purchased a pinup custom guitar. There is a a commercial that I run that uh, that has that in it. I'll stick that in this episode. Yeah. Let's run it at the end of the show. Really? Yeah, because we've already done our break, so it's already been passed. So let's do it at the end of the show. Yeah, but (laughs) I haven't put the commercials in the podcast yet. That happens post-production. Now, the listener doesn't know this, but you and I know that, and so let's not pretend. But our friend PR will be so confused if he hears all the information first, and then he hears his question. He'll be like, well, I didn't get an answer. I don't think that that's true, because... (laughs) It has to be linear. My God. Uh, Here's an idea. You know what I've got here? Um, I have uh, on my website. Oh, do you have a testimonials thing? I think I do. Let me look at it. I think there's a few testimonials there, and I'm going to read them on the show and then comment on them, you know? 
because my buddy PR, I keep wanting to say his name, but he didn't use his name. He said PR, so I'm not going to say his, he doesn't want his name said, maybe. So I'm not going to say it. If I can find my own website, what? Am, who am I again? <laughs> What's I going on know. here? I don't know. Speaking of websites, my website is ready to roll. Oh, ha- you I should launch launched, it. I haven't launched it yet. Why? And here's the reason, because I'm going to be out of town this weekend, and I want to be available in case there's any glitches or anything. Oh. But next week. Are you so going to launch? Like maybe the 5th of February. Oh, cool. Of 2019, I'll launch. Nice. So just a heads up for everybody. Okay. This is from Will Bailey in Seattle. I remember the first time I played one of Eric's custom guitars. All I could think was, I have to have one. I decided I'd better pull the trigger before someone buys it online. I picked it up the next morning. That guitar and I are an inseparable couple. Such an incredibly inspiring instrument. Wow. That's nice. That's nice of Will. That's all you're going to say? Uh, well, what can I say about it? Hey, this is from Darren Jones. Oh, Darren. He's, I know. He's my buddy. He's a good guy. I love Darren. Can't say enough good things about Eric Dawes' pinup custom guitars. Mine is the closest thing I've personally found to being anything like a real vintage 50s guitar, but without the vintage guitar price tag. Hmm. This is from my former employer, Jay Boone of Emerald City Guitars in Seattle. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the real vintage guitars, and that's what appeals to me. I own several, and they are my main instruments. I play them on all the time, on stage and off. I think he owns... He owns like five or six, doesn't he? In fact, he's the one that owns, I'm pretty sure, the Terry Terrell painted one. I shouldn't say that, but I just did. You're going to have to edit that out. No, I'm not going to edit anything out. Uh, But yeah, you know, the nice thing about making custom guitars has been for me, I've made almost 150 of them, something like 140, I think. I've only ever had one returned. Wow. It's a pretty good track record, isn't it? Yeah. Except what, what was wrong with that one? What was the problem with it? What was what what happened? What was that? Hmm? So you're gonna focus on that one. Huh? <laughs> you don't wanna hear about the the hundred and thirty nine that didn't get returned? Right. What were wrong with those? You sent them out anyway, huh? Okay. Just kidding. Thank you. Thanks, PR. Thanks thank for, you. Yeah, thank you. Eric and Melissa, I recently purchased a nineties Starfield Altair five fifty. Oh yeah. Whatever that is. <laughs> and as usual the <laughs> As usual, the previous owner did not have the trem bar. Starfield was a subsidiary of Ibanez, so I should be able to find the right part. But that got me thinking, what do you do when you have a parts caster and you don't know the brand or model of trem system? How do you find the right trem bar without stripping out the threads? Quick side rant, why do guitarists lose trem bars so frequently? Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. Somewhere there is like a storage bin full of pencils, coat hangers, and trem bars. (laughs) <laughs> like they just all disappear from the universe and they end up in one spot. Do you have a problem losing coat hangers? Yeah, every time I go to hang up a shirt, there isn't one. That's because I... Do you know anything well, about no, that? No, I, I, I don't know anything it about that. It might have something to do with the fact that you buy five shirts every time you leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> what about socks? She goes to the thrift store and I swear, <sighs> it's just like she can't help herself. She buys four or five shirts every time. I have a thing for vintage clothes, okay? I Next buy them when there, I see them. Buy some vintage hangers. Huh? Can we talk about trem bars? Bruce, uh, here's what I would do. You know, down at the hardware store, they usually have a little uh, thread matching display, and you can go in there. You can you can go in there and. Uh, and, uh, well, how how are you going to do that? Because you don't have... Yeah. You could put... I was some... going to say, take the trim bar down there and see what thread it is. <laughs> but guess what? He doesn't have. He doesn't have the trim bar to and do that. You have discovered My... the problem right there. <laughs> oh, You really put your finger now... right on it. <laughs> now I see your problem. I see. I understand your problem, Bruce. How are you going to do that? 
<laughs> well, we don't know. Sorry, Bruce. Uh, you know, you should be able to, without stripping out the threads, you should be able to try a few and see. So just buy um, them all. Just buy any one you can. Well, you know, I've I've had the luxury of. You have to you have to realize that, like I've always had access to like a box of like fifty trem arms. So you're the one that has the box. <laughs> yeah. How dare you, yeah. sir? I don't have that many now. They're all at Emerald City, you know. But so, uh, but I have a few. <laughs> this is getting worse. Uh. Yeah, it can be tricky, especially if the threads are damaged. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, still, uh, you could you could find you know okay so it's so it's asian so it's probably metric thread i mean we're gonna take some educated guesses here right okay it's probably metric thread uh you know maybe um take your calipers and look at the size of the hole and see how about how big the trim bar is mm-hmm. go buy some metric bolts and see what threads in there and then you have a reference, you know, okay, it's this thread, so I know I need a trem arm with this thread. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's about as good as it gets. Uh, it can be hard. I, You know, it really can. F- finding any kind of part like that, you know what really sucks is trying to find a saddle for some weird off-brand thing that's missing a saddle. A trem arm is actually easy compared to that. Yeah, Bruce. Hey, let's, let's keep it under control, huh? I'm sorry about my wife, Bruce. She's yelling at random <laughs> listeners today. Leather guitar picks! <laughs> She's just on one. What can I say? Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. Hey, Eric and Mel. Question for Eric. Since you work from home, do you keep your day structured, starting and ending at a certain time, or do you just work when you can? And give up when you start falling asleep standing at your workbench. <laughs> also, I have a 1960 Silvertone U1. The plastic grips on the tuning pegs all have small cracks where the plastic meets the metal. This is my baby, and it's all original. I don't want to replace the tuners. Is there anything I can do now to keep them from getting worse? Thanks, Zach in Ohio. Oh, howdy, Zach. First of all, I love... That your baby is a 60 Silvertone U1. That's awesome. That's so cool, man. I love those guitars. I have one in the other room. Um, you could, uh, you could, as a preventative and, and, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of here? As a uh, precautionary measure, you could wick some super glue into those cracks. <clears throat> We should see if there's a brand of super glue that wants to to uh, sponsor, sponsor our podcast. podcast. No. Okay. Uh, and uh, here's what I would do. You know, if you you can get thin super glue, you won't be able to find that like in your uh, hardware store, but you can order it online. You can get it from Stuart McDonald or probably a lot of different places, but you want thin, which is the, about the viscosity of water. Right? Wow. And... That stuff will get down into a, a really tiny crack. The gel or the medium viscosity stuff won't, but the thin stuff will, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you could um, you could uh, use that. Maybe get some accelerant to mix it set faster. Put the accelerant on the tuners and just. A tiny little bit, a tiny little drop on the cracks, and it should it should just you'll watch it you you can watch it just sink right into the crack. Then if there's any excess, be ready right there with a Q tip to to clean off the extra because you don't want it to dry and set on the outside of the tuner. If it does, it's not the end of the world. You'll be able to scrape it off, but it's not a bad idea. Uh, you 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 could wick some super glue into those cracks. Not a bad idea at all. Do you structure your day? 
Yeah, he wants to know, do I structure my day? Well, pretty much I do. We do. We kind of have a schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, I work certain days and then Melissa has a few days in the shop as well. Uh, and then uh, yeah, I try to be out there by eight or nine and then work till lunch, take a lunch, then go back to work. And I usually work till about 5.30. So it's basically a normal work day, you know? Yeah. It, there's times where, you know, if you don't, if you haven't gotten everything you need to get done, you'll go work in the evening or you'll work a Sunday or you're, you know, you'll work a day off. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I make up time whenever I can, but yeah, I try to get four or five solid days in the shop per week, you know, eight to 10 hour days. And, uh, I have to say though, it's because of me that he structures. If, if I weren't around, Eric would work all the time. He he would be out there at 5 a.m. and he would work until midnight. Well, that's not true because we have kids. Okay, if me and the kids were not around. Well, what happened to you and the kids? <laughs> we're we're in we it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're gone. Oh my god. Eric, Eric works 24 hours a day. Before I met Eric, he would literally work 12 to 15 hours a day every day. He wouldn't take a day off. It was nuts. And then I showed up and like, what is, What are you doing? I do like to work. And then I lay in bed and I think about solutions to problems like, uh, yeah, what if I make an, a custom aluminum shim? <laughs> he did that today, by the way. You know, I was going to, there was a Bigsby. There's a Bigsby that just wouldn't pull straight. You know, sometimes they sit sideways and there's like nothing you can do. It's like the thing's warped. And so the customer wanted me to um, redrill the holes and move the thing sideways. Well, I don't want to move it off center. He, 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 he thought, well, I think that it, I think that it's I think it's mounted off center. But it wasn't. It was mounted center. It's just that the thing sat sideways. And so it's a pretty common thing. People will shim those to make them sit where they should um, with like a washer or whatever. So I put a washer in there to shim it and then it pulled straight and it looked great and everything was cool. So then I'm laying in bed, it's like three in the morning and I can't sleep because this washer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, this washer is, is, is sitting in between a Gretsch and her tailpiece and I'm going... This is not an elegant solution. I don't like that, you know, anybody looks at that and goes, what a hillbilly stuck a washer in here, right? I'm thinking, I need to make a custom shim for that. That's not acceptable, you know, and I'm going, what can I, you can't really, I mean, I guess you could make one out of wood, but that's not really, I don't know, it's, you're going it, to, it, it's going to be thin enough that it might split. It's a weird thing. I, I, what I really need is a custom metal shim. So I'm just like, you know, now it's five in the morning. I'm thinking, okay, I could make an aluminum. I could totally make an aluminum. I'm not making it in my mind. I'm going, okay, trace around. This is what I deal with, people. He's like awake in bed, like sketching out ideas. But if you uh, and the kids had been abducted by aliens, first I would go through a mourning period. And then I would have been out in the shop doing this. Your 15 minutes of morning, you know, you're over. Insta- yeah. Well, I guess they're gone. <laughs> anyway, back to what I was doing. Uh, I, you know, instead of laying in bed at three in the morning thinking about this washer that was bothering me, like, this is not an elegant solution. I need to make a custom shim. I probably would have gone out to the shop at three in the morning. Right. But because I have a wife and a family and I need some semblance of normalcy in my life, I stayed in bed and just thought about it. And then once I got out there at 830 in the morning, I made a custom aluminum shim. Right. To, uh. To be fair, I do the same thing. If I'm working on a project, I'll, you know, if I can't sleep, I'll go out and work at 5 a.m. So if. It's just because we love what we do. We love what we do and it's all good to work whenever we want to. It's all good. Right? It is. That does it for the show. 
This was episode 74. What? Hope you loved it. It was the best we could do. <laughs> I can't. I can, what do you want from me? I can't give you any better show than I'm already doing, okay? Tune in next week when we'll answer more questions. What a surprise. Do you like the show? If you do, tell a friend, you know? Maybe uh, post about it on uh, on Friendster. MySpace. And uh, maybe you could give us a nice, good a good rating on on whatever your podcatcher app is. We appreciate you listening, and we appreciate you spreading the good word. If you want to participate in the show, and you really, you really should, you can do so by calling or texting 757-774-8482. Call or text that number 757-774-8482. Or you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon.